0: Geek Shock,
1: Geek Shock. Do a, uh, we could do. I don't know if we, which would we want to do? Like a full on, uh, cause. We could talk about good movies mm-hmm. and 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 relatable, like Jeff said. Would talk about how it relates today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also, yeah, we could do a so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that would be the podcast or do the both. segment. Yeah, do both. Do <clears throat> one. So is good a, it's good, yeah. <laughs> and so bad it's good. Something yeah. like that. So good it's good. Yeah, it's so good it's good. <laughs> you know and that could be the that could be where we, it was really funny uh Steve popped it up on Corridor Crew they talked about good bad movies uh where they they were talking and they actually were like dissecting it's like when you're making an intentionally bad movie and 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 like the things you do in uh in VFX <laughs> yeah in uh, visual effects to, to do that so to really drive that home yeah well it's funny because it's but not the obvious it, thing. it's not super duper bad they sit there and they take it apart and they say you can actually see that they know what they're doing and they're doing it well they're just <clears throat> but at the same time it's like this we're making we're making a You know, a a Sharknado type movie. I I forget the the
2: one that they were looking at. It was it was the it was the bad CGI uh, alligator. Yeah, bad CGI alligator. So they were intentionally making a bad CGI alligator movie. But the guys were talking about it goes, but this actually the CGI alligator is not that bad. Yeah. You guys, you guys, you made a decent CGI alligator.
0: Because
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. they were talking about the alligator itself being well rendered and the lighting on it was actually good. What they what they were doing to make it bad was having it like float in midair or, you know, jump off mm-hmm. a roof and it kind of. It, instead of jumping off the roof, it kind of swims down to the ground. Yeah, so, Jeff, you would appreciate the the, the show a scene
1: where it's attacking someone and they're like, oh, look at that, it's got two focal planes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's like, that's how they make it look bad, is, you know, they, they,
3: they play with shit like that. Now I want to know if it's as bad as the CG alligators in, say, Schwarzenegger's Eraser, <laughs> or if it's like, Sharknado bad. Now I want to see this. I'm going to have to check that out. Ah,
4: Let's bring everybody in. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 722. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. With Professor Biggs. And we are to talk week and geek. Uh, Yeah, Deb and Barry. Still not here this week. Still not here. No. Big failures. Big failures. Big time.
1: Yep. And what's really cool, they don't listen to the episode, so we can, you you, know. You know what I think. Barry
4: is short. You know what I think it is? Deb is short-tempered. I think it's the fact that I've been bringing the Lester Fixins drinks. Mm. Yeah. Which I have another. Oh, no. Oh, Oh, well. I guess we'll have
1: to wait,
2: won't we? We should probably wait a week. Yeah. Todd. I'm already, I'm already putting off talking about Big Bang Theory until Barry gets back. Yeah, really. It's like Empire Strikes Back. It's like that was all
3: last less to and Well, oh, if we save all, <laughs> if
4: we save all the things that annoy Barry for the time that he's here, we'll have a 20 minute show. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. All right, 20 minute
3: show. That's okay. Uh, apparently, our, our short shows are a hit. <laughs> well, we got to keep it under an hour, though, right?
4: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. So, gentlemen, I did finally watch The Commitments. I'll get to that in when it's time for my segment. But oh, the uh-huh. Clockwork Torgo is moving forward. So, those out there that have nominations for Clockwork Torgo, put them in there in the uh, Discord because it's time to set up another. So, but we'll get to that later in the show. So, that being said, since we're going to save the what's going to my mouth for next week, because good idea. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I need more. Barry Payne, I know. So yeah, yeah.
1: you could yeah. just see him. Being and and like, Deb
4: Payne is just a bonus. Y- you could see,
1: you could see him being like, oh, Deb, he's going to be doing a couple weeks of uh, what's going in my mouth. So why don't we why don't we go to Disneyland?
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Which I can't wait to hear about because apparently
2: the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean ride stalled on them. Oh, right? oh right. yeah. Right. So <laughs> that and it was nice and chilly. I think he should have spent the extra, or should have just made it 150 and actually get them stuck next to the Yoho Yoho there's you know what it didn't have 50 on me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. God, I hate people
3: complaining about cold weather in January it's like it's January it should be cold I'm like middle of winter is not until like February 3rd yeah it's like look at a calendar people yeah oh, the God, Kansas guy is crazy bitching yeah. about people bitching about right hey there's a reason I moved out here I mean <laughs> yeah it gets cold in Vegas But it doesn't get nearly as cold as where I grew up. Well, sure, I know that. I was in Chicago, but it... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. (laughs) It's like... eh. That that lake effect. Oh, oh
1: my God. Oh, my God. It's the worst. I I, I sincerely believe I have uh, some nerve damage on the tip of my nose and my chin from Chicago. Because now it has to get cold. It has to get below freezing. But there is a certain point when temperature gets low enough the, the 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 front little that that little soft patch on your chin mm-hmm.
3: goes numb very quickly very easily as opposed to the rest of my face oh, wow. I still Sorry. remember there was a time Todd and I went out to Chicago and it was in the fall and holy shit it got cold yeah yeah and it got really cold yeah and the place we were staying had no heat yeah. Where I, where, and
4: also where I lived in Chicago.
3: Yeah. yeah oh I, yeah, you had that one radiator. Oh, yeah. I, that's right. I yeah. lived.
2: I lived by that radiator that winter. I remember you. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I remember
2: you talking about that. Uh, the Urda's uh, and I can't remember what the URTA stands for. United Repertory. All uh, right. Anyway, it, it's Regional Theater Association. Something <laughs> like that. It, it was where you where you auditioned for grad school. Yeah. Uh, was in Chicago the year I the year I went. And I, I packed for snow, but not for rain. Oh, no. And, and it rained, and Jiminy Christmas, I really wish it had snowed. <laughs> oh, my God. When, uh, Jeff, Wind, you, winter you,
1: rain is you horrible. Guys, you guys yeah. probably get that, too, Jeff. Yeah. Is when you get that rain after
3: the snow, yes. oh, that slush is just the... That, that just and the, then when you get the... You get the snow, but then it's followed by that wet rain, mm-hmm. and then it's followed by the freezing rain, yeah. and you've got like a layer of ice over the layer of snow. Sure.
0: Oh my oh, god. Oh, the it's frozen so slush.
3: Weird. The frozen slush was. But
4: it is fun to walk on the frozen snow.
3: Yeah, because like you, <laughs> yeah. You, you step, you step on it, and it's like it cracks through, and yeah. it's it's it's. Solid, and then it's soft, and then solid again. Ugh, oh, so yeah, weird. Yeah, a lot of fun, fun with physics. Yeah. And being in the, wearing your big old moon boots. And you know, wet
4: snow. It makes a good snowball. Right. You, bring out the, <laughs> you bring out the snow troopers, and you have a proper
3: scene. Yeah. There you go. Get the at-ats out there. <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: yeah.
3: We had that cold winter rain here just last week. It was. I was sitting there going, I'm like, what is that noise? I was sitting there watching TV. <laughs> yes. It was yes. like right around midnight, 1 yes. a.m., I'm like, that sounds like rain. That can't be rain. And then I open the front door. Sure enough it's raining. Yeah. Yeah. And it's everything is steaming because the ground temperature and the air temperature were so disparate that it just there's fog everywhere yeah. coming off of every object that's getting hit by the the cold <laughs> rain. Everything is saying fuck you to everything yeah, else.
4: Exactly. All right. Well, that was our tight eight about the weather and old man talking about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, gentlemen, let's get on topic. What dicky things did you do this week? I'm gonna start with you, Steve. So, I uh, am uh, continuing uh, the uh, Z reading uh, frenzy. With The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece by one Tom Hanks, ladies and gentlemen. Is that the whole name of the... the that's the name of the,
4: ti- the title of the book?
2: Yeah. The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece. Oh, actually, no. Colon, a novel by Tom Hanks. Huh.
4: Oh, God. Repeat it one more time just so I can write it down for God's sake.
2: <laughs> the Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece. And it is it is a fake, it's a faux uh, journalistic treatment, kind of like a Tom Wolf or like a like a Truman Capote thing, in which the person writing it uh, ha- had had been embedded with a movie company, okay. and but mostly treats it like um like a novel like a historical novel kind of thing that kind of journalism um and uh what makes it geeky is the movie they're making is a superhero movie okay <laughs> and it's tom hanks that that boy now is this an actual
4: tom hanks novel or is this a tom hanks ghost written novel
2: no it's a tom hanks written novel okay. he has actually written a short story collection before this And, of course, he's written several screenplays. What's funny about this is, obviously, Tom Hanks knows a little something about the movie industry. I don't know. You you think? He he would come by that. Um, It's not like he's directed a movie or anything. I know, or produced others. Hence why it's not a novel about fishing. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I I will say the thing he did really well is you can't tell... Who these fictional characters are based on? Like sometimes, okay. sometimes if you read these things, you go, "Oh, okay, this is supposed to be blah blah blah," um, and you can't tell. You don't know. You know, even if you are well versed in the movie industry, it's like, well, that could be Jared Leto, but it's not. The description is more this person, but it could be that person. Anyway, and it and it's really funny. It's got Tom Hanks' sense of humor all over it. Um, but it's also very well grounded and you can just feel um, Hanks's love for the industry he's so such a big part of through the whole thing um, a couple other fun features uh, is he actually had some fake comics written and drawn or actually I guess he wrote them drawn up that are embedded in the book occasionally that the movie is allegedly based on so there's a couple of comic books in there. And then the last thing is um, if you want to Bill Johnson is the writer director of the movie in the in the book, he goes if you want to read Bill Johnson's screenplay for uh, Nightshade, it's got a QR code for it and sure enough, it's got a script. Oh, 78 <laughs> page script. Well, that's wow. impressive. <laughs> so not only did Tom Hanks write this book, he also then had to go and write a 78 page screenplay. <laughs> That there are scenes in the screenplay that they that the book talks about them shooting, and I'm like, Tom Hanks, what the fuck, man, you really did have a lot of spare time over COVID, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So I do recommend it. I uh, if okay. you like if you like the movie industry and and uh, uh, yeah, it really is. It's it's a very uh, nicely grounded book characters that you care about some that you love to hate you know sitting there going oh my god just fire this guy (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah I recommend Um, I was cat sitting for my ex-wife and so um, we will talk about Big Bang Theory probably next week But but as I was cat sitting I binged the first three and a half seasons of young Sheldon uh-huh. wow. a Very different show than Big Bang Theory Okay, that doesn't say a whole lot what are your thoughts on it though. Uh, it's it's good. It okay. Re- it's good. Yeah um, It's it's a single camera shoot. So no live audience and it's shot like a film <clears throat> It's a little bit more of a dramedy than a straight comedy. There are some nicely grounded moments and, uh, several people have commented, um, that it, it seems that because we know where Sheldon ends up, that his character's kind of locked in the actor, the young actor that plays him is really good, but he doesn't have all that much of an arc because, you know, the Sheldon that he is as a young kid is basically the same Sheldon that we see as an adult. But his family gets fleshed out nicely. Um, and in fact, they are they are creating a, a show around his older brother, Georgie, that is going to go back to being a multi-camera uh, in front of a live audience. Oh, really? Uh, comedy, yeah. Um, huh. But yeah, the, the fleshing out his sister and his dad and his mom and his ma a- And it's got these recurring guest characters that's like Wallace Shawn, Ed Begley Jr., Craig T. Nelson... And it's just and yeah. the, Who's Mima? Mima is Annie Potts. <laughs> his mom is Mima uh,
3: is his grandmother. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 looked so sincere when you said that. And I'm like, really?
1: No, 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 you you no. no. The I, I I was sincere Is because I agony. wanted him to say who's portraying oh, okay. Meemaw because and, it's Annie Potts. Yeah. Right. And
2: the yes, and the woman who's playing his mother, Zoe Perry. Yes. Again, for the first few uh, episodes, I was like, God, wow, they cast this well. She looks a lot like um, Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. Looked it up because it's she's her, her daughter. daughter. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's really good. Uh, the the boy slash now young man that they cast to play uh, Georgie looks like he would grow up to become um, what's his name? Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. And I was like, wow, they did some really just excellent casting on this. And just and really, they do make make use really well of all of all of their um, re- recurring guest characters. Wallace Shawn and Craig D. Nelson, in particular, are just absolutely fantastic in it. <laughs> so yeah. So and I haven't finished watching, but uh, how but many seasons are, are there? That five. And this one's going to be the last one. Okay. The current one is going to
1: be the last one. We were watching season 12 of Big Bang Theory, and uh, they did a crossover thing, sort of,
4: where... uh, To
1: kind of promote the show, kind of? Yeah. Sheldon basically did a VHS video uh, (laughs) of his young self to talk to his older self. And so, you know, they did a whole thing surrounding playing
2: that. Actually, a pretty good bit, too. Yeah, and the first two seasons of Sheldon coincide with the last two seasons of Big Bang Theory. So the the season ender of season two for Sheldon coincided with the series ending of Big Bang Theory. And they did a real nice, why is there so much dust in this house uh, ending to that season. I was like, oh, Oh, God, Why, why is this dumb show making me misty all of a sudden? and it was really nice.
3: And now the current season for Young Sheldon is the last one, yeah. right? Yeah. So you don't have to worry about getting caught up too quickly, nope. right? You no. Know.
2: I, and see, episode three of season five right now.
3: Okay, so yeah, you're almost there.
2: You're almost yeah. caught up. Yep. Jeff, did you watch
4: the whole thing?
3: I, it's, it's funny, Steve and I were just talking about this. I tried watching Young Sheldon. I just couldn't get into it. Um, what, what? What didn't, work for that, for you? I I can't put my finger exactly on it. Um, I think it was mostly just... It seemed like the characters weren't the same, and I get that, you know, it's a younger version, so it grows into being Sheldon, you know, but I just, I don't know. The, the couple of episodes, I watched, like, the first couple episodes. Um, usually I try to give a, a series a full season to let them get their footing, but... I don't know it just it just didn't speak to me I can't really put my finger exactly on what it was but Steve also talked me into looking at it again because he said uh, was it three season two or three you said
2: that it really kind of picks up yeah once they once they kind of figured out that it's much more of an ensemble show than than just about Sheldon it 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 just kind of took off well yeah that's well I mean Laurie
3: said that about the original Big Bang Theory too it's like it's like it's an ensemble show, you know. Arguing that with, you know, the higher ups, like, yeah. it's like, There's a reason I need all of these characters. It's <laughs> yeah. an ensemble show. It's not just about these three characters. Yeah. That live across from each other.
2: <laughs> yeah, but when when they really when they start to develop Georgie and they start to develop uh, Missy, which is his brother and sister, um, and Meemaw, <laughs> and even like Wallace Shawn gets a fun story. Uh, cause he's a, he's a, uh, physics teacher at the local university. And so Sheldon goes and sits on, on, his classes and then, and then, uh, he starts, he, he becomes Meemaw's boyfriend and then, and then zany antics ensue and things go a little wrong and everything. And, but, uh, yeah, he has a fun and again, he's not a series regular and just fun stuff happens. And he gets an arc, and I was like, oh, good. Give the recurring character an arc, too. Awesome. <laughs> Anything else, Steve? That's, for me, I was, again, cat-sitting, and so, yeah, not too much. Jeff, what rocked your world this week?
3: <laughs> what rocked my world? Nothing really rocked my world, <sighs> but... Um,
4: does, does Jeff's world ever really I'll,
3: rocked? Uh, I'll start off with the um, the fun one. I went and saw the beekeeper. That's the the Jason Statham... Uh, action film. I mean, it's it's a fun, you know, kick their ass action film. You know that empty. uh, I wouldn't say empty, but also not necessarily deep as far as the storyline. wasn't. It's a pop. It's a popcorn film. You go. You enjoy it. (laughs) There was a lot of buzz around that one. Yeah. So yeah. So I I would. That criticism stings. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Uh, You guys goes down a little honey though. It's a sticky situation He's gotten himself into Jeff
4: what are
1: you
3: doing there You don't need puns <laughs> Yeah really You're making me Break out in hives <laughs> Oh my god But uh Essentially he plays A former covert op That's uh, what? Retired I wow. know right I know The what expanding
1: I love yeah. it I and knew he had chops
3: He's like semi-retired But then you know Somebody pulls uh, Shenanigans And of course He's got to come out Of retirement
0: yeah. To Dude, <laughs> I don't see Jason he Statham says, ever, doing, the hive.
2: <laughs> e-
4: ever doing a, you know, like Magnolia style picture or a Robert Altman style film.
3: Uh, dude, well, you, Wrath of Man was really good, and you need That's, to you need to rewatch
4: Snatch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I think Snatch is beautiful. I love Snatch. However snatches Jason Statham playing Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I mean well. Jason Statham plays Jason Statham in a lot of films. It, so all, so if all that's all what you're expecting films. with The Beekeeper, you're going to you're going to be rewarded because oh. it's it's essentially Statham being Statham, but it's, uh, it's um, fun. It's, you know, the action scenes are really well choreographed. Um, How often does I enjoyed he meet it
2: up with Bob Odenkirk?
3: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's the clash of the titans that
1: well, I don't know. He'd probably kill Odenkirk. Well, not not based on. Uh... Well, I know, I know, but but uh, I mean, the thing is, is that Statham is kind of close to what he plays. Right, <laughs> well, In real life. Yeah, that, he can he can that. he can do the he can walk the walk.
3: <sighs> but anyway, it like I said, it's a fun popcorn film. Uh, it's it's a good, you know entertainment matinee if you want to go for the cheaper film you know so. what you're getting yeah exactly you, you you're not going into this and then going oh i'm so disappointed because you got to go into this knowing exactly what you're gonna get and you get exactly that
2: how often does he end up on a jet ski
3: uh no ah. not, not not at all in this one so <laughs> what so, you know, it, no it, no no nods to the meg <laughs>
1: uh, i have to say the beekeeper that could be one of those strange character
3: story drama things. Well, about,
4: this sure if somebody else was cast, sure.
3: This certainly does seem <laughs> well, like it could end up becoming like a series with sequels.
1: Not as an actioner. I just mean the beekeeper and it's, you know, some uh I can't think of a director, but you know, some, some middle-aged
4: drama. Yeah, yeah, just, you mm-hmm.
1: know, even a even a former covert ops guy who's just now taking care of his bees and thinking about all the people who are well, dead you know you could sure that that
4: title the all i'm saying is it's not going to be in a gross point blank right <laughs>
2: <laughs> well god that you know there movie. is a <laughs> seri- <laughs> i love that movie <laughs> there is a series of books by laurel king uh, that started with the beekeeper's apprentice that is basically retired sherlock holmes okay <laughs> There you go. Jason Statham. The new Sherlock Holmes.
4: <laughs> I know what I'm getting with that movie, too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, main thing I actually wanted to talk about was a uh, little setup to this. Uh, oh, okay. the, the playoffs this weekend, one of the games, specifically my game, was a Peacock exclusive. Yep. <laughs> Which oh. I have very strong feelings about. Yeah. I don't feel like NFL playoff games should be on <laughs> streaming only because fuck streaming only for something that should be available yeah. for anybody to watch at any time. I was long- work, working at the bar that day. You know how f- much it fucking sucked? Oh, I bet it sucked a lot.
4: <laughs> hey, were you guys playing the game? We're not. It's yeah. on Peacock.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I was... And apparently... I'm from
3: what I'm hearing, they're they're kind they're okay with the numbers. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, apparently NBC Universal paid a lot of money to get this game to be an exclusive. Mm-hmm. So um, the only people that got some reprieve on this were people living in the Kansas City metro area and also in the uh, Miami metro area because they were uh, there's some clause in. Um, in these contracts that allows it to be on local television, but only in the cities of the teams that are being featured. That's so. funny because live television, it's usually the opposite.
1: There's yeah. Blackout.
3: Unless the, uh, if the stadiums don't hit a certain Yeah, if, right. if they don't sell out, then yeah, then they can be blacked out locally. But. I
1: wonder if, uh, hmm, fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I, I, I actually...
1: I spent some time um, house sitting for Barry and Deb. I, I, I spent some time doing some other things. I could not watch any of the friggin' games because I I don't have live television, and all the streaming options are just
4: shit. Yeah. So and they really and, are. and of course yeah, Barry Deb. Hey, for some decent streaming. I already. know.
1: <laughs> they didn't have Yeah, they 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 didn't have uh Peacock so I could watch that. They didn't have Hulu so I could catch up on my Rick and Morty. Uh <sighs> what fucking yeah.
2: I'm not but, even a sports guy in that stuff. Yeah. Oh,
1: just...
3: it's it's it was it was frustrating. I Live mean Live T V carrying major sports. Uh, I just don't remain. like I don't like the precedent it has set because yeah. we already have the Thursday night games as a Prime exclusive. Right. So Prime Video is the only way you can see most Thursday night games unless you live in the city of the town that is being featured. So, yeah, um but the reason I bring that up is because while I w- after I finished watching the game, I also noticed they had the entire run of Ted the TV series in
4: there <laughs> I'm curious as to what you think
3: I really enjoyed it Do tell I, I, So it's again Seth MacFarlane reprising his role as Ted The setup is that this is John Bennett Who is in, featured in the films Played uh, uh, by Mark Wahlberg in the films This is him as a teenager going to high school <laughs> and holy shit the kid they cast this max burkholder he has the speech patterns and the mannerisms down so well yeah you could think this was mark Wahlberg's kid at this point i swear to god
4: everything he says is a question everything out of his mouth ends up on the upswing
3: something like that like yeah. this yeah but i'm surprised yeah i know right Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But at any rate, uh, so (laughs) the series features Ted and uh, John as teenagers, but also fills out the cast with uh, John's mother, Susan, father, Maddie, uh, you know, Maddie played by Scott Grimes, uh, mother played by Alana Ubach, who you've is one of those. You've seen her everywhere, but you may not automatically know her name. You know, it's one of those faces you see everywhere in a bunch of different movies and TV shows. And uh, of course, the rest of the cast gets filled out with people that Seth MacFarlane has worked with on several of his live TV (laughs) series, including The Orville. uh, Penny Johnson Gerald, um, this Georgia Wingham who plays um, uh, John's cousin, but is living with the family in an apartment over the garage. Uh, It was driving me crazy as I'm watching this I'm like where have I seen this girl before And then I realized oh she was on the Orville Yeah But um, it's only seven episodes long The majority of the episodes Run between 30 and 40 minutes Typically on the the lower end like 32, 33 uh, Except for the very first episode Now my only gripe with it is And I understand why that first episode Is long, that first episode is 50 minutes Long and the actual story part of the episode probably could have been done in about 30 minutes, but they're setting up all these new characters that you're being introduced. So there's a lot of fleshing out these characters in that first episode, so that the following episodes, you don't go, who is this? Mm. Uh, So specifically the father, the mother, the cousin, And then all of the other like adults that you're going to see in the high school as they go to high school together. So um, I highly recommend it. Uh, Like I said, six out of the seven episodes, very short, 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Just getting past that first episode. I mean, there's a lot of funny parts in that first episode. But again, it just felt like I'm like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, I feel like this should be a lot shorter with this because the actual story part of the episode is quite condensed. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I know what they're doing. It's the first episode. They're introducing you to all of these characters. And because they only have seven episodes to work with, that's why they're all being introduced in the first episode. But if you liked the the two movies, you're going to like this. A lot of fun, a lot of stupid... Uh Jokes and a lot of adult theme jokes, but there's also some pretty smart jokes in there, like where they start over analyzing something and and just you know making it like this huge math problem as opposed to just doing the thing so
2: without being too spoilery It's funny, you know you're talking about um you know episode length and everything, yeah uh the reason I was able to uh binge three seasons of Sheldon. Without the commercials... Yeah, that's like 20 minutes less. 18, 18? yeah, sounds about right. By uh, comparison, I just looked it up. uh, MASH, without the commercials, Mm -hmm. 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. So seven minutes has been taken off. Basically, modern uh, half-hour TV shows are YouTube videos. Yeah, they really are. (laughs) I mean, shoot, I remember when I was a kid...
3: And the local PBS put on Star Trek and they kept really touting that it's like it's the original series and it's being presented uncut. And I'm like, what's the big deal? Until I started watching them and I'm like, oh, I've never (laughs) seen... An absolutely uncut episode of Star Trek, yeah. because fifty-five minutes was the average runtime mm-hmm. for an episode of the original series. Well, between fifty and fifty-five minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, I and when, cut down to about forty-two minutes for yeah. modern television. Yeah, I uh, remember when uh, half-hour TV
2: shows, or when they uh, yeah the twenty-five minutes when they yeah. cut to twenty-two. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I remember reading uh, a thing that on network. 55 minutes for an hour but in syndication yep 45 was the kind
3: of the standard yep they would trim a good 10 minutes off now it's 18 minutes uh your average hour series is 42 minutes without the commercials yeah Yeah, it's crazy and sometimes less i've seen a few that break down to around 36 minutes for an hour episode. Well, if if a half
2: hour is eighteen minutes, yeah. an hour is going to be thirty six. Yeah, and, and I like the
3: I like the way they do credits now too. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, credits come Jesus. on. Yeah,
3: and the only reason that the credits are showing at all is because that is a uh, that is a union yeah. required thing. Mm-hmm. But they never ever put in there that they have to show it at full screen and they have to put yeah. at a certain time length, so they can they can run them through at light speed and. Or shrink them down to the bottom corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I remember something I was watching recently. They did like like the old, um, the Chiron, which is the little the mm-hmm. little thing on the bottom third of the screen. <laughs> oh, jeez! They essentially ran the next show started and the credits from the previous show were being shown on that bottom eighth of a screen scrolling super fast yeah yeah
4: where the closed captioning is yeah exactly <laughs> yeah
1: i was shocked that, that there you go that's just a gratuitous uh okay we
3: they didn't say how we have to do it letter of the law
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> yeah oh because i mean We're, there apparently there's some major penalties if you don't run oh, those yeah. credits
0: mm-hmm. so oh,
3: yes. well a lot of, in a lot of cases those credits are for a lot of people the only way they can prove exactly their involvement yeah and then nowadays you can't even see yeah
2: yeah. So it's like, I, look, I worked on that show that was me that happened just like a nanosecond ago. Yeah. yeah, about 10 years ago I uh I realized cuz that about 10 years ago is when they also started leaving off the title sequence and just, you know, put the title and oh, yeah. stars in. And I was and I was like, man, the one got to give it to, you know, cable and streaming it's the last bastion of decent title sequences
3: <laughs> well not to mention most shows don't have a title theme anymore well right that's what i'm saying because you know they, they trim it down to just you know an opening still of the title of the show and then they roll right in yep
4: i'll give it to hbo they are the ones that keep kind of keep that opening theme alive
2: right yeah yeah well i, I you know deb wants to wait until she's back on to talk about uh, the gilded age but mm-hmm. man that title sequence is
1: brilliant Netflix hats. <laughs> yeah, Netflix yeah. hats.
3: <laughs> Anything else, Jeff? Uh, that's all I got.
4: I want to talk about Servant for a second. Servant? Servant. a The M. Night Shyamalan show that helped kick off Apple Plus, oh. which had its fourth and final season, I believe, last year. Uh, my wife and I finally uh, sat down and gave that a watch. Hmm. hmm? Do I recommend it? Doesn't how sound like it. Pa- how patient are you? That's that's the question I have for you, if you're interested in this. Is it an M. Night Shyamalan joint? Kinda, right? He wrote and directed the first episode, uh, but it's really the the show's from somebody else. There's a mm-hmm. whole different separate showrunner the created by, uh, I will say, that his daughter... Uh, did a lot of directing and writing on this show. So Showland, yes, yeah. that it's a whole thing. And his other daughter is singing some of the music on the show, <laughs> okay. so it's basically a showcase of the family. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, what is "Servant"? "Servants" is a horror thriller TV show about a family. Most uh, when I say family, a husband and wife who lost a baby, which then psychologically broke the wife. And the only way they brought the wife back from her break was replacing it with a doll that she then treats as real. And the servant they hire as a nanny to help continue this charade. However, when the nanny comes, she treats the doll as a real being as well. And by the end of the first episode, it's real. Hmm. And that's how the show begins. And from there, it's four seasons of lost style mystery of just, why is this happening? No idea, oh, here's this new mystery, but what's the old one about? I don't know, what's the new one about? I don't know, oh, here's the third mystery. And it just keeps going until by the end of the episode, end of the whole season i guess i should say or the whole show maybe uh most of the mysteries have been solved and you are left pretty unsatisfied wow however there's still a few things that are up in the air uh i don't want to spoil it for you because if that is your bag it's all of that but it's not a uh Shyamalan joint It's not a thing where there is a twist that happens. There's a few small twists along the way, uh, but uh, a lot of it. And what I know you're really going to love here, Kay, is that the whole core of the philosophy of the show comes from people not talking to each other.
3: Oh, God. People intentionally keeping
4: information that is necessary for the other person. What do you mean? What, me. That That's
1: Steve's pet
4: peeve.
2: <laughs> well, that's a Steve peeve. That's oh, I a, thought that one was a, yours One too. of mine, too. Uh, well,
1: I make fun of Steve oh, because I see. there's a couple mm. of shows he really likes that kind of <laughs> use that trope a
3: lot. Okay. Why don't they talk to each other? Because I need the show to happen. Fair yeah. enough.
0: <laughs> now,
2: how does water figure into this show? <laughs> <laughs> It kind of does at the end. Uh, oh, of course, because it's a Shyamalan thing. So
3: it's it's because some of the mysteries are solved. It's the anti lost because, <laughs> god damn it, I hate the fact that they even t- that the producers even talked about it. It's like so we're going to go, you know, seven seasons and never pay off any of these mysteries. We're just going to leave it wide open. Yeah, okay.
4: Now I will say, Ugh, we were compelled to watch the whole thing, beginning and end. Even knowing toward the end that this is not going to end very satisfyingly, yeah. but we still stuck it through. And looking back on it, he was all right, right? It, uh, we, my wife and I love Shyamalan's films overall. This is not a stickers. ringing endorsement. No, it isn't, and nor is it going to be. <laughs> okay. Uh, the actors do a fantastic job with it. Um, uh, Rupert Grint, uh, particularly, okay. is in it as a as the brother. Of the uh, of the wife and uh, Does a fantastic job of just being a an absolute shit ah, nice. And which is wonderful to see and I'm sure he enjoyed himself in it. <laughs> nah. Yeah, but yes, there's a lot of scenery chewing as an actor This would have been a fun show to be in because you would have had to go to all the levels in throughout <laughs> this seasons because all of the emotions are in this show um, Is it scary? No Uh, Is it eerie? Yes, Uh, there's some really interesting parts and there are parts where the mystery is like Okay, this is a fascinating thing happening. I wonder why this is happening and as you get going on I think I know why this is happening and then as it goes on. Oh, that's why it's happening I don't like that as much as I thought it was gonna be (laughs) so servant Uh, no, not a ringing endorsement. So if that's that's not the reason to get Apple Plus, uh, lasso is the reason to get Apple Plus. Wow. C is the reason to get Apple Plus. Severance for uh, all mankind. I, for all mankind. For all mankind. It's a good. Of uh, but uh, servant, on the other hand, un- unless you got nothing else to watch, it's filmed well. It's shot <laughs> well. It's got a great sense of atmosphere. Uh, but uh, no, no. K, what'd you do?
1: Uh what'd I right. do, Steve? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I wasn't here for Yeah, a really. really yeah, Steve was uh, gone for a while and So you're at a loss. My geek life kind of just died. <laughs> um I enjoyed going through a Kickstarter fulfillment that uh recently came through. Oh, a fulfillment's nice to hear. Yes, it's uh it's a game called. It's a RPG called Shadow Dark. What camera? Shadow You're on Dark. Camera and two, I think. Sha- hey, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> sha- I I didn't say look at anything.
4: Uh. See, see, guys. I under. I understand yeah. that. Kay will explain everything that he's holding and describe okay. it properly. I know who here won't. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the, the reason I'm actually holding up the book, uh, I like it, because it's, it's one of the trends that a lot of uh, games are doing that I like is they're doing A5 or digest-size books. They're not doing those big, full kind of picture book, textbook type type of things. And what I really like about Shadow Dark... <laughs> It's it's got kind of that faux leather leatherish quality to it, an embossed cover, but by the feel of the book, the the size of the book, it it kind of feels like a Bible. <laughs> yeah, kind, kind of looks does. like a Gideon, uh,
4: except it has a, a a lich on the front. Yes. But other than that, yes, yeah, and you know there are liches in the Bible, so oh, that's right. Joseph uh, was a lich, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is a fun RPG. It's done by a woman named Kelsey Dion who actually she is not uh, Stephen Kirsten old but she is old enough that she actually played D&D as a kid with the old schoolers. Mm. And uh, so she knows old school D&D as well as the current trend. And Shadow Dark is kind of taking new school rules concepts uh, the way you do rules and applying them to old school gaming philosophy. So she's got tons of random tables. The game is about the dungeon crawl. It's about the uh, adventurers getting together D&D style and going on a dungeon crawl. I love those. (coughs) And she has my favorite thing, ascending armor class and stuff like that. She does step down a few things, though. So, like, the hit dice are all stepped down. So the fighter hit dice is actually a D8 instead of a D10. The cleric is a D6 instead of a D8. And uh, so far, the so people are more squishy, yes, because it's that, that whole lethality thing, which I'm okay with in a game. Because my philosophy with an RPG is if you, if you have high lethality, then just make your character creation quick. That's all I ask, so that when your character gets killed, you can actually uh, bring in a new one. But then she introduces some newer concepts like the character funnel which is a whole bunch of zero-level characters that you I love uh, that roll up, and you run them through an adventure, and it's a specially lethal killing adventure that if they survive, this is your pool of characters to draw from during the campaign. As a, a character may die, you then pull from your, your funnel characters and reintroduce. She proposes 3D6 in order. Ooh, fun. For the stats. I like it. And it's funny, too, because she does 3d6, dude, but she still uses the 5e spread for the stats. So an 18 gets you a plus 4. A 3 gets you a minus 4 and stuff like that. Um, you don't add, like, your strength bonus to your damage. It only affects your to-hit. Your level advancement is a 2d6 table that uh, gives you a random advancement. So instead of, you know, oh, I'm level two, everything, you know, this happens, this happens, this happens, you roll 2d6. Maybe you'll get a special power called a talent, but you might get plus one to melee uh, and ranged attacks and stuff like that. So she combines a lot of old school philosophy with, uh, with new approaches, uh, newer approaches to mechanics, which I really like. One of the controversial things that I think is actually kind of fun is um, when you go on your dungeon crawl, your, your torch, no one has infravision. No one can see in the dark. I like it. So Your torches are important and your torches run in real time. So an hour of you sitting at the gaming table That's the is an hour of torch time burning, and torches last an hour. So there's, there it's very resource management intensive in that regard. So how fast you play the game is important. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, how uh, how you go through, and you know you'll be encountering uh, random creatures of all sorts, and and it's a full campaign book. She has. She just has tons of tables for all sorts of stuff. I really, I really do enjoy a lot of the philosophy. There's some things I don't worry about myself. Uh, one of the mistakes I think a lot of people do when they try to strip down modern 5e is the first thing they do is the, the hit points. Because they're like, gotta be squishy, gotta be baby. And it's like, I don't think that's necessary. You just need to make sure the monsters pack a punch. So, you know, there are things like that that I don't agree with and that I wouldn't do uh, if I ever do a strip down 5E thing, which I'd like to do. Um, problem there, of course, is the person I could probably want to collaborate with is Barry, and Barry is his, why would you want to do that? You got the 5E, how's your So anyway. <laughs> uh, but he's not here. So fuck him. Um, but so Shadow Dark... I highly recommend this. This was a, this was a big one. This is a, um, a, a Kickstarter that actually hit. I don't even know if it was Kickstarter or on Backerkit. Because Backerkit now is doing their own Kickstarters. Yeah. Uh, for people who may not know, Backerkit used to be just the fulfillment of the Kickstarter thing. Um, and now they're doing their own Kickstarter offers thing anyway. But uh, she she got over a million dollars in funding for, for this. She had one of the records. Because Professor Dungeon Master, Bob the World Builder, uh, Ben Milton on Questing Beast, all of these OSR uh, YouTubers uh, had played her game and got some preview stuff. And they all endorsed it. Because Kelsey's been working on this fucker for like four years she's actually been making rules play testing she plays in gary con in wisconsin Mm -hmm. every year she goes all around um, play testing in conventions and stuff so she's she and she does a series of youtube videos and she's very thoughtful i think they're very good uh videos to watch if you're interested in thinking about game design so I'm just I'm very impressed with it and I'm very happy with it. Uh, I got the full deal. So there were three zines called Cursed Scrolls, which offered bonus classes and bonus rules and things like that, which is really cool. And a lot of uh, a lot of RPG uh, c- companies, smaller ones, are doing zines now. They're doing these little tiny. Uh, 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 I don't. Uh, God, how the hell do you describe a zine nowadays? It's just like a little <laughs> magazine, you know. But it, but it's a tiny little thing, like a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> a pamphlet essentially, and that's what that's what people used to do in the days before the internet's. You young uh, young uh, kids, um, they would make these things and they type up and staple together and mail around to friends
3: and stuff like that. In the early days, they were mimeographed. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, God, I hated those (laughs) machines. So, anyway. You haven't lived until you've made a carbon copy, ladies and gentlemen. uh, Or you you had to type on the the multi-layer sheet and then strip it onto the drum. Yep. And then, mm, oh, there's the jam. And when you pass those
1: babies out in class and you smell that ink, yeah, yeah, baby,
3: oh. that was the shit.
0: <laughs> Who or needs? if the
3: ink didn't have quite enough time to dry, yeah. and as soon as you touch it, your yep. thumbs are purple. And <laughs> boy, Jeff was traumatized by many things. I, yeah, I guess so. Oh, I have I, just... I have printing stories because I did take graphic arts <laughs> yeah. when I was in high school. I got to be around a lot of that old equipment. Oh, boy. Talk about the old Gutenberg press, you know, the one where you put the, the types wow. in, in, in. Jeff in, goes in, back to the oh, Gutenberg yeah. press.
1: That's wow. making
3: Steve uh, jealous. Making yeah. Andy jealous. I, I have used one. Granted, it was a more modern replica, but I have uh, used one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, Andy would have a story about... Uh, Andy would be like... Tell me more. Yeah, he'd be like, (laughs) and he'd be sincere about it too. He's like, I want to know everything you know.
0: Andy
4: Andy was a featured character in that Bible. Well, I was gonna say, Andy
3: would be like, yeah, I I actually
2: used Gutenberg's press. (laughs) (laughs) I I gave him some tips about that. Yeah, Yeah, really. Help him design fonts. Please, (laughs) Andy was
4: at the Council of Trent. Uh, (laughs) Movable type. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Movable type. So,
1: um, yeah. So, Shadow Dark. One word, RPG, the Arcane Library, is uh, Kelsey's little company. I highly recommend. If you like anything about uh, current D anD D, but also am interested in some older style, and if you like old style D anD D, and happen to be one of those people who has an open mind and can handle ascending armor class, open your mind. Um, I suggest you look into open it because it's. It, I think it's worth the money, and I think it's a very good product. I really like him. Now, is there more books forthcoming, or is this just Um, a one-and-done kind of thing? She is doing the Cursed Scrolls right now, and she's busy with fulfillment, because literally her company is her and her wife. So, there you go. So, they're busy with fulfillment and getting things out. She she does, though, keep things active on
2: the internet. Steve, you okay? Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out who's already talked, because I... Actually, forgot something. I pulled an Andy, and I forgot to talk about something. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Is is this something
4: well, you feel you have to get out down the show? It's short. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Well, not now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there will be there will be more stuff coming. Although, as anyone in RPGs tells you, the core rule books is your. That's your big. That's your big thing. Um, supplements and stuff like that. Settings and stuff like that that come after. Those are pennies versus your dollars. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but it's a very creative and active community. So, I definitely suggest joining the Shadow Darklings. There is a new book coming out by the Dungeon Damsel, who uh, has a YouTube channel. Um, and uh, she is actually doing a supplement for Shadow Dark with more classes, more, uh, a lot of other additional stuff to supplement the game. And they'll be doing the using the same company that made this book, so um, it'll be it'll be like a comp- a companion supplement piece. So that ought to be interesting too. So I uh, I've been spending a couple weeks just going through that, reading it. I really do enjoy it, and I've been very happy. So, and speaking of backer kit, by the time this episode drops, uh, it will be announced. New Edge Sword and Sorcery Twenty Twenty Four will uh, be launching the Kickstarter or the backer kit once again. Crowdfund will be launching in fewer than 30 days by the time this drops. So this will be two more issues of the New Edge Sword and Sorcery magazine. Um, It'll be uh, 45,000 words of sword and sorcery fiction, as well as interviews, essays, book reviews, and more. It'll have plenty of cool line art uh, from various... uh, internet artists who are up and coming getting started like Dan Rampel, Matthew Spencer, Sapro Saprophile, Trevor Wenya, uh Nwenye. Uh I said that right. So, it'll be available in digital, soft cover and hard cover. I know that the uh, issue zero hardcover intimidated Barry and Todd from <laughs> actually participating in New Ed Sword and Sorcery, so um, I made sure that they did cheap crap. So well, thank you for that. that. We appreciate it. Uh, you guys might be interested. Thanks. I think. And to be a part of history in the making, Jirel of Joyry. Sorry, of the first Jirel of Joyry. Of Joyry is was the first sword and sorcery heroine created by uh, legendary word tales writer C.L. Moore, sort of like Alice in Wonderland with a big fucking sword. (laughs) Uh, Now, she had some compelling adventures in bizarre dream logic realms and uh, balancing emotional life with terrifying struggles against dark Forces Now, Moore only wrote a handful of Jarrell tales, but the C. L. Moore estate has authorized um, Molly Tanzer, editor of Swords vs. Cthulhu, author of Creatures of Charm and Hunger and other stories, to write some new Jarrell of Jory stories, hmm. the first in 85 years. So that will be a part of the uh, campaign and uh, one of the books. New Edge. New Edge, Sword and Sorcery. I sent Todd the uh, backer kit. This is the uh, link you can click on to get the email newsletter, which apparently, I guess, is the big thing now. It's kind of nice. You don't, A lot of people are now saying, don't worry about socials. Just have an email lo- newsletter for communicating and stuff like yeah. that.
0: Which that's is it's back
1: baby. you know which is nice considering how you know the catastro fuck that socials, social media is yeah oh, so so I mean that's basically where uh, where I'll go. I've, I've downloaded some stuff on drive-through RPG stuff like that. I'm still interested in the OSR stuff, old school Absolutely. essentials which is essentially a cleaned-up, nicely laid-out version of the old uh, basic expert edition of D&D. And it's very clean, very well done. I recommend that highly as well. In fact, that would have been my go-to recommendation before Shadow Dark. I got Major Meh, the old-school essentials books, for Christmas. We'll see if he uh, cares. He's he's busy... uh, He's busy mourning the fact that nobody seems to want to play Star Wars RPG.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: He couldn't even get Steve interested. Oh wow! So Wh-
4: why why uh, why no interest? I, I
1: don't yeah I don't know. I don't know. Just not, not feeling it now. This this game this system is different sure. from like a d twenty system, right? It's the one and with the special dice, the the wacky dice, and it also can be role play intensive. It has lots of roleplay mechanics, unlike, say, D&D, which will comparatively fall short. So, um, I know that some elements of our gaming circles are just not fucking interested. And I'm the only one who really, because, you know, I don't need mechanics to roleplay, and I can certainly go a session without having to try to kill something.
2: See, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, well, well okay.
1: Um, dissenting uh, Hopefully, hopefully this will drive whatever he remembered out of his head.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so I made no secret of the fact that my go-to is Call of Cthulhu. Yes. And one of the things I love about Call of Cthulhu is all the math is done up front, which means that when you're actually playing the game, it, you're just role-playing. And you hardly have to roll the dice at all. Which, I guess for some people, it's like, no, it's all... RPGs are all about rolling dice. It's like, why? To me, the dice rolling gets in the way of playing the game. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here, folks. Yep. Listen to that horse shit. All narrative, no randomization. Spoken <laughs> no, like none. a dungeon master, Kirsten. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Nope, just steer it, but don't... Uh, don't uh, micromanage. We sounds got, like you would like dread. I don't know if I'd like. I don't know. Uh,
1: fiasco. Oh, fiasco. 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 Is, thank you. We should. Uh, we should. We should uh, do a fiasco. Uh, not live play, but we should record a fiasco thing. Sure. I mean, it, it's timed. So it's not like something that can go on and on and on. You sure. have a limited time to do it, and you play it, and it's improvisation. For a limited time only. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that might be up your wheelhouse. Because essentially, uh, in Fiasco, Steve, the, ro- the rolling, mm-hmm. the dice rolls, set up the situation. Okay. Uh, and then you play it out. Dread's the one with the Jenga tower, right? Yes, it yep. is. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Probably Steve would... Like be removing a block and have a coughing fit And <laughs> then his character be. would die. Or I'd have a huge <laughs> eruptation. <laughs>
2: Blow the whole yes. thing. Yes.
1: Steven is huge eructations. Yeah. Those his his or as Steve would say, eruptions. Yeah. Another
4: thing I got corrected on that. So <laughs> Steve, other than your eruption, what else you need to get off your chest?
2: <laughs> so uh, at the end of this month, at the end of uh, January, January twenty seventh. Come on, hold on, hang on, hang, hold on, on, hang on, God, hold damn it. On. Anyway, hold <laughs> I, I'll I'll in in either on uh, the lair or uh, Discord. I'll post actual dates. It's the last Sunday of January at ah. four o'clock. Um, I'm involved in a new uh, podcast uh, called Star Trekking in Vegas with Goldie and Biggs. And it'll be a. It, it will actually be a visual uh, podcast, so I actually will be able to say, "What camera man?" Okay, cool. Right here, January twenty eighth would be the last Sunday of January. That's it. Uh, at four o'clock Pacific uh, D- Standard Time. Where do you find it? Uh, it'll be on. That's. Those are the details. I will have to post later. It'll be on Goldie's YouTube channel, uh, mm-hmm. her, also her TikTok. And is that what it's called, Goldie's YouTube channel? I can't remember. See, that's, a, that's the details I'll have to give later. <laughs> I'm just letting uh, people know in advance. If th- only the camera was on
1: Todd
4: right now, <laughs> folks. <laughs> I'll I tell you what. Remind me the name of the show. Just a pu- punch of it, right uh, it.
3: Wait, wait, wait. Star- As a professor, uh, the Je- 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 importance of details
2: <laughs> are not included here. This This boggles my brain. Yeah. No, because we just had a production meeting today, so mm. I, so the details uh, are still being ironed out. <laughs> okay, last Sunday of the month. So this is a tease of details a that tease are of to details come. that will be coming. Yeah, I the see, only Todd thing you know is the Blake link that got he'll it. put
1: up later. Huh.
2: <laughs> what's what's the name of the show, Steve? Star Trek in, in Vegas with Goldie and Biggs. Like T R E K K I N apostrophe. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Clockwork
2: Torgo. All right. All
3: Clockwork right. Torgo.
4: So Clockwork Torgo. If you're not familiar, if you're a new listener, Clockwork Torgo is. I, I apparently have massive gaps in my movie watching history. Yes, you do. I. <laughs> I might disagree, but these guys believe I do. So I disagree,
3: I'm, but you would be wrong.
4: I'm. Uh, I embrace this. <laughs> And so uh, the shock monkeys every month nominate a film that I haven't seen that I must watch and therefore come to the show uh, to give my thoughts on this missing piece of personal film history and the missing piece this month. Uh, has been in the works for <laughs> months. A year? Yeah, maybe going on a year now. Uh,
3: I still argue that this is an important piece of cinematic history. But go ahead. Oh boy, Jake. I know Jake is a big fan of it.
4: Has but. been nominating the commitments for a very long time. Yes, he has. Renominating over and over, and finally, out of a uh, out of pity, it was chosen. <laughs> And and not only was it chosen, but Jake, for Christmas, sent me a beautiful 25th anniversary de- oh, a Blu-ray copy of the film. Jakey! So Yay. thank you for that, Jake. And so, yes, I have finally seen The Commitments, released in 1991.
3: Yep, August of 91. Yeah,
4: I, uh, I can't it? remember the director's name. Uh, Alan Parker film. If you're not familiar with Alan yeah, Parker, yeah. Uh, he did uh, Fame. Mm. He did a Vita. Mm-hmm. right and those are just the musicals so he's done yeah in mississippi burning lots of stuff
1: yeah he did uh the the my hypothetical beekeeper right.
4: didn't he also do uh
1: very goddamn it
4: <laughs> <laughs> very very goddamn it um
0: <laughs> uh
4: did he also do uh the wall i think he did pink floyd's the wall i'm not for some reason i'm thinking he did that hang on hold on but uh, yeah. i'll let you figure that one out either way the commitments uh, was based on a novel that was released in 1988 and uh, it is a novel about these uh struggling less than working class kids in dublin that decide to put together a soul band uh Alright, at least one person does and then recruits all the rest of them. Wow. Right.
1: I am just so
3: excited about this I wow <laughs> I, I have my there own thoughts, know. but I'm saving till later you, know. you guys now this film
4: <laughs> I, I Want to state up front. I enjoyed myself. It is a Enjoyable experience and a lot of that has to do with the charisma of the actors last musicians that are portraying these roles There is no story In the commitments it is a making of the band and the breaking of the band there there is no plot you're just here to get behind these kids trying to get themselves make themselves something in a world where the world expects them to become nothing and probably one of the biggest characters in this movie is Dublin itself working-class poverty Dublin of the late 80s um, but again that's, it's, that's the movie it is all it is a I can't even put it like an Altman character piece because it isn't like you follow this character in their life and this character in their life you really see these characters only when they're together as a band except yeah. when the manager's out pontificating about the band So, more like a slice of life kind of thing. It's a slice of life thing, but even so, with a lot of slice of life movies. Even more
3: simplified. Yeah.
4: Yeah. A lot of slice of life movies, right? You follow this character in their life and what they go through and so on, and you get little chunks of that, but only when they're dealing with advancing this band for better or worse.
3: There's not a lot of character
4: development. Now, I think I enjoyed this. It's kind of slice of life. A lot more being. Uh, that I had a cover band when I was younger so there was a lot of oh I recognize this moment of life <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this uh, this feels very very familiar uh, So if you don't have that kind of background or you don't have an interest in music I don't really see you enjoying this movie very much at all It's really what it comes down to how much mm. do you enjoy? the workings background workings of a band when they hired all the actors in this film they Auditioned them as musicians first. Yeah And then they had them read for the parts, so they needed to create a band for this and They played their own instruments, and it's one of the reasons why the soundtrack was such a huge hit Yeah, the soundtrack did better than the movie.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it did and They're
4: impressive overall especially that singer the singer I guess was the son of the music director of the movie and so Okay What's uh, what's interesting though for as all for as talented as all these musicians last actors are the only Performer in this that ever really launched out and made a massive career was The side role of the sister of the main character who was one of the cores If you're familiar with the Irish band the cores. Yeah, uh, okay uh sh- yeah, she was a member of that, and she was just uh, like, a like ace really, really sad. like like four members of the corps are in this, but like three of them don't have speaking roles.
3: I would mention Colomini too, but yeah, Colomini was already an established actor at that in fact. He was already doing next gen at the time yeah. that this came sure. out. Now, I'm
4: talking about people that had a music career yeah. after
3: this. oh yeah, no,
4: right. God, yeah. Just... yeah, there are no you will not recognize anybody but Colmini in this. Yeah,
3: there's not really a lot of breakout characters, right. from and this, none of these only one, only one of them
4: went on to have a full on acting career. I can't yeah. remember her name. She was the the brunette with the straight hair of the of the band that was in the what are they called the uh, Commitment Ets? Mm-hmm. I think they're officially called. Uh, but it is an enjoyable film. Uh, it's it's very it's almost like a first salvo, a pre-salvo of the '90s independent movie era, right? Yeah, when all the, the the '90s, when the the land of Miramax was taking over, yeah, right. This is like a proto of that. So that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, like it is. It's a movie without purpose, without a. I can't say there's not a vision because there is a vision to it, but not that's one having really anything to say except for here's a movie based on this novel about a bunch of characters trying to create a soul band just out of passion and trying to lift themselves out of the world they're in yeah and and even the breaking of the band happens so fast at the end that it's not even a like a momentous moment it's it's a band that ends in a fizzle
2: yeah yeah right well I mean, you know, you look at things in real life. It is rare that something has Like an actual blow up and goes away. It's it's you know, people just going eh, I'm kind of bored with this I think uh, yeah, I can't and I can't, I can't even. and I
4: can't even say that it feels like it has an authenticity to it Yeah, there, there is a heightened reality to this whole thing not not to the extent of something like train spotting right, but But it has that whole kind of train-spotting feel, whereas we're going to follow these characters doing this thing and then let them be afterwards.
1: (laughs) It sounds very much like that uh, Merchant Ivory movie, uh, The Beekeeper. Boy, you're just not going to let this go, no, are you? No, Well, it's like I struggled to find, I needed a director's name. He mentioned Alan Parker, and now I'm like, oh, wait, Merchant Ivory, Sam Mendes, and now I'm thinking of all of those Miramax-type independent movies right. that were that were these hefty dramas that would have a name like the beekeeper, you know, the plowman, you know, the 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 whatever. So yeah. uh yeah, I you know what, dude? I remember when I can I had friends telling me for years, Kirsten, you have to watch this. I'm like, what is it? And they would describe it kinda like you, except that you actually can describe things well. Right. And <laughs> and as a result, I've never ever been interested in watching this movie and I have never ever watched it. And just from what you're describing, it's and Jake's passion I don't think I'm, you'd like it, Kirsten, I, to be honest. I think I'm thinking it's almost like a it's almost like a uh, a, a Miramax version of the Goonies. Where it's like <laughs> you need to be in a certain place in your life <laughs> I, to see. That this I movie agree things, with. That I agree with. To to love it. Because I have a feeling I'd be bored to fucking tears but well I
3: it's funny you say that because I do remember uh, my high school best friend Ben and I we went and saw this summer of 91 you know saw it in the theater and I just remember being bored with it the whole time now granted I'm 17 at the time right so my views might have changed had I seen it at an older age. I have not seen it since then. But I just remember not hating it, but not at all. And then subsequently hearing all these people, oh, my God, this movie. And everybody, I'm like, what movie did you see? Because I feel like we've seen two different films. Right, exactly. I mean, when so, I hear the excitement yes.
1: that people bring to it. Yes. And then they tell me what it is. I'm like, did, did we 100%. transition somewhere? And I miss it. Because <laughs> it's like, I don't mind. Right. Banned movies, I liked Almost Famous a lot. I liked. Well, that's got more substance that thing to it.
3: That you do. A yeah. lot. Well, but you're people... talking about movies that have character development, right. that have more depth to it. Well, I also, feel like this film had no depth to they're it. They're also not an Irish soul band. Sure.
0: Sure. <laughs> sure. It's just. Well, but see, that's, that's the not thing. going
3: by the short hairs. I have no problem with the music. The music is actually very good. Right but it doesn't feel like a movie. It, you know, and I mean, I think, you know, Steve keeps bringing up Slice of Life and I'm like, yes, but even less than that. It's like, like quick, quick. (laughs) There's no life to slice. Quick, quick (laughs) peek on a band performing and then going, oh, that was fun. And then that's all. Uh, That's how it feels to me.
4: And I can see where that comes from because the last quarter of the movie is a concert, basically. Yeah. Right? So I can see that. But the first third is not. And when when the band starts out, they're not great. And so these musicians are intentionally playing horrible. But they're doing it in a very realistic way because they all kind of been there and know what that's like. (laughs) Right? So whenever... Whatever is happening, it feels authentic, all right? Even with a little heightenedness, I mean, there there's scenes in there that are only there to be there. Uh, for example, when a guy's getting to an elevator and then there's a kid holding a horse that's going on the elevator and guy's like, <laughs> you're not going on the elevator with the horse. And that's the scene. I'm like, okay, that was there. It was quirky,
3: <laughs> but it really serves it, no purpose. It feels, especially like what you're mentioning, it feels like stories that got related to the director and the writers by somebody that had been in the business and they're taken out of context it's like oh this funny thing happened once when we were going to the recording studio and blah 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 and they're like oh let's put that in the movie but then they just throw it in there and it's like it makes no sense you know what jeff it almost sounds also like it was several somebodies
1: yes like this story from this group, and remember when Jack told us that story? I
4: can answer this question. Oh, okay. Uh, that bit happened because uh, before the movie was filmed, there Alan Parker, the director, saw some horses on the roof and goes, "I wonder how they got there," and wrote that scene into the movie. <laughs> that's how that got in. there. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. It's
1: now see that's the most sympathetic moment. That that I mean, if Geek Shock made a movie, we we prob- movie we'd probably have a. A horse in the elevator moment
4: and the movie makes it's not like the movie doesn't make sense just all these scenes put together it is a a guy has an idea for a band the band is put together the band learns to work with each other the band no longer can work with each other the band falls apart that's it right but that's it and if that appeals to you it's a good movie and it appeals to me i enjoyed it And I but
3: you've also been in bands and you've been through that right Uh, so you have some frame
4: of reference 100% and I would watch this again because It was enjoyable and the characters are enjoyable Uh, and I don't agree with Jeff that they're one that All the
3: characters feel very one-dimensional. I don't agree with that.
4: you don't agree with that I don't they don't feel one-dimensional me. I, I but however I will say there's not a lot of
3: character growth do you agree that they right. are somewhat stereotypical as well, though? Uh, no. No? I disagree with All that right. as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see
4: where you're coming from with that, but I think the way it's portrayed, the way it's written, I think they are
3: much more decent. Because well, hey, hey, I can hey, just hey. tell you, 17-year-old Jeff did not find anything there he could identify with. Uh, well, uh, and could, that's how I felt at that particular point we, in time. Could we say...
1: This is an interesting actual experiment in talking about writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, could we say Jeff or uh, Todd? Could you say maybe Jeff because he ha- doesn't have that band experience? That's why some of these characters came across as one-dimensional or stereotypical. Whereas you were like, like you said, I recognize this, I
3: recognize that. Well, you can write a script, and you I can know, write character. No, no. What I'm saying is, you can write a character that has even though you may not identify with everything about that character you can write elements into that character that you can identify with and make it entertaining or entertaining rather i mean look at this this is spinal tap that's a perfect example of a movie where you have no frame of reference about what these characters are going through but there's certain elements to each character like like oh i can i can definitely get behind why they did what they're doing because this little smile you know sliver of that person's personality you can go oh i see why they did that i didn't i did not feel that about commitments when i saw it
2: yeah i I, again i say this without ever having seen the commitments although oh you still you haven't seen it no it's been on my radar since it came out sure Again, same thing. A lot of people... That's a a radar. Yeah. Some people say, oh, you got to go see this movie. This movie's so fun. The movie's so great. The characters are awesome. And I I should also add that 17-year-old Jeff was really
3: big into independent cinema at the time. So it wasn't like I went into this thinking, oh, I'm going to hate this. In fact, I went into it being very excited because, yes, this was an independent film that was being shown in a theater in Wichita, Kansas, which typically doesn't show independent films. Mm. And I was very excited and coming out of it being very disappointed. And and I I do, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Steve. But.
4: Uh, no, I do, but I do uh, disagree with that. Still, Jeff, as far as the characters go. Now, I will say there's not a lot of writing in there, plot-wise, that develops those characters. Oh, but, there's
3: no character but development. Every,
4: but every single character, I know every single. Even at the end of this movie, I know everybody's underlying reason why they're in that band, and mm-hmm. every single one of them is different. And very little is put in the script as to why. A lot of that stuff happens in the background. A lot of that happens with little secondary scenes. But there is a. a I find, but you know I find that because it, you're drawing off a personal experience. No, i right? not. No? no, I'm talking about what was shown in the movie. It has okay. nothing to do with it. I, I know which characters are in it because they're afraid that they're going to. Uh, they're going to lose their family to poverty. I know ones that are because they need p- bits of fame to their life. I knew ones that do it because they would have nowhere else they know where to go at that moment. Because I got nowhere else to go. And but it's not. In the script, that is something that I was either directed or was found by the actors themselves, yeah. and these are all things that are happening kind of in the background, not in the foreground.
2: yeah, what I was going to say about the spinal tap thing is um, first of all, spinal tap is a comedy it's larger than yes, life, yes. characters are larger than life, and they're also very specific. <laughs> What, you know, and he,
3: even though it's larger than life, a uh, lot of these things, bands have uh, oh, come out and said. That. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's funny. You say
1: very specific. It's like that, that almost sounds like a, a Steve euphemism for kind of tropic, kind of stereotypical.
2: No, no, no. Very specific means that, they, that those actors knew exactly who those characters were. And so every moment comes out of these characters that they had built up through improvisation, through, you know, coming up with their own backstories, working together as an ensemble, everything like that so that, so that you know who Harry Shearer's character is, you know who Michael McKean's character is, you know who Christopher Guest's character is, specifically who, who they are. Without having seen the commitments, and this may be, it, it, but it also sounds like the same thing The difference being is Spinal Tap's larger than life. These guys are trying to be more down to earth, you know, realistic characters. So even though you have nothing to cling on to so far as. (laughs) uh, I saw what he does there. Thank you. uh, Nothing to cling on as having anything that you can identify with in Spinal Tap. The characters are just hugely entertaining as opposed to being real people. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Although, ironically,
3: a lot of what appears in Spinal Tap, as over-exaggerated as we think it is,
2: apparently a lot of this shit really happened. Well, because life is stranger than (laughs) fiction. Yes, exactly. Exactly.
4: (laughs) So, yeah, uh, good choice, Jake. I really enjoyed this movie, and will most likely watch it again. And I definitely want to watch the Blu-ray with commentary as well. I haven't done that just yet. So now, monkeys, all right, clean slate. It is time to nominate the next one. I got a feeling I know what it is going to be, but
0: <laughs> you
4: never know. So nominate away. You can find that in the Kofi Discord. So, gentlemen, I guess we should talk about a bit of news, shouldn't we? This should oh, this. How about some news you don't give a shit about? Oh, thank uh, God. There's tissue right here. Uh. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I miss I miss Barry and Deb.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> All over the felt table, too. <laughs> yeah. I got to wash it That's again. That's why it's
4: called felt. <sniffs> it's been felt. <laughs> mm. Yes. These don't give a shit about a new George Carlin comedy special, and I'm using the words George <laughs> yeah. Carlin in finger quotes oh, here. This. Has been released on YouTube. The special is attributed to the AI-generated doodzy, with the Doodsie voice introducing an hour-long special by liking it to liking it to quote Andy Kaufman impersonating Elvis or like Will Ferrell impersonating George W. Bush, unquote. Now, uh, in a statement, Kelly Carlin said, quote, my dad spent a lifetime perfecting his craft from his very human life, brain and imagination. No machine will ever replace his genius. These AI generated products are clever attempts at trying to recreate a mind that will never exist again. Let's let the artist's work speak for itself. Humans are so afraid of the void that we can't let what has fallen into it stay there. Here's an idea. How about we give some actual living human comedians a listen to? But if you want to listen to the genuine George Carlin, he has 14 specials that you can find anywhere, unquote. Now, if you don't know, and probably don't, Dudezy is an AI-generated podcast, quote-unquote, host, in which it learns from existing data to generate and speak on a range of topics. A weekly Dudezy podcast and a YouTube show is co-hosted by humans Will Sasso and Chad uh, Kultgen. Uh, This is the second Dudezy podcast comedy special, the first being a stand-up routine using the AI-generated voice of former New England's Patriot quarterback Tom Brady. That special was removed after Brady threatened legal action. So, yes. AI-generated special of George Carlin, which... Uh, Yeah. Let's talk about that.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think his daughter said it all right there. You've got 14, was it? specials yes, 14 draw from i mean god i grew up listening to george carlin comedies without my parents knowledge because if they had not know they would have freaked the fuck out but see i got um, lucky yeah
4: yes my introduction to george carlin was my parents introduction to george carlin which was the uh, comic relief album mm, yes, that was released from I think the second comic relief that happened then. and so George Carlin did a version of his stuff which was very tame for Carlin so so once my parents heard that they figured oh he's fine and so I got to listen to George Carlin all I liked because they didn't really God, hear it
3: I still remember when your parents were talking about trying to get us tickets for George Carlin when he was here in Vegas I did get to see Carlin in Vegas um, yeah. I didn't but and I you know it's one of those where it's like Oh, well, he'll he'll come back next year. And it was that one year where he gets sick and passes on, and it's just like, God damn it. Difference in parents, I took my mom to see
1: George Carlin. Phenomenal. Oh, wow. She loves him, and boy, oh boy, when he goes through the euphemisms for masturbation, it's an interesting (laughs) moment to be sitting next to your mom (laughs) and watching your mom laugh. That was surreal. I also uh, got her the uh, When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops. Oh, that's a good his, uh, book. Yeah, so, oh, um, yeah, you know, uh, you and I, we're, we're on a similar track with AI, but there are things we differ on, so sure. I don't know. I mean, because, yeah, there is. There's a metric shit ton. But then again, for AI to create something... You, I mean, a, a metric shit ton is a better thing to draw
3: from. Not only, know?
1: I yeah. don't know, but yeah. at the same time, it's like, why? And I don't know, because so much. One of the things that I have to be careful with in my fascination with what AI is doing, which is part of what uh, is upsetting you, Todd, is. This is corporations testing the waters and figuring out how to do shit and how far they can go and, and what figuring can they out exploit. how not to pay real artists. Yeah, exactly. and 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 how to exploit uh, IP without having to actually, you know, pay for it and stuff. So, you know, looking at it that way, mm-hmm. there I can see dangers as well. so yeah. But at the same time, it's like it I think it could be a valuable tool for people who don't have the resources to do certain things. And you know, uh, resources are getting thin. It, it, in many ways, uh, artists can do more with less now than ever. But at the same time, resources are getting thin. Mm. At, the, at the exact same time, it's getting also harder for people to have the resources to commission artists, to commission writers, to commission this, to commission that. So, I don't know. It's almost
4: as if there's more money being mm-hmm. siphoned away mm-hmm. to smaller amounts of area, mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. the general populace. Mm-hmm. Feels a little like late stage capitalism mm-hmm. to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so. Uh, somebody um, posted a Facebook meme, at the, you know, somebody complaining about, You know, why don't they teach art? Why don't they do art like they did back in the 16, 1700s? Why don't we have any more Michelangelo's? where, Where are our modern Michelangelo's? Where are this and that? It's like, well, if you want to get these billionaires to start being artist patrons like they did back in Michelangelo's time period, then step up and do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. if you're going to ask where's the Michelangelo, you
3: have to ask where is the Pope Julius, right? And where
2: is where are the Medici's?
3: Well, not to mention, (laughs) art has become such a big business now, and also essentially a money laundering (laughs) uh, scheme for the wealthy. So you know they they sponsor one artist and then try to get them to sell their you know their different pieces of artwork in a gallery just so that they can go oh oh you know i'll pay you x number of thousands of dollars for your painting just so i can say hey i paid this and now have some appraiser go oh well it's worth 10 times what you paid yeah which again
2: is nothing new yeah it's been
3: going on for
2: centuries yeah so Um, it's just you know it's it's one of these things where Okay, you got this thing called Dudesy that can do all this. Why, why would you want to try to recreate George Carlin, whose observations are based on the life he was living at the time? Yes. You can't do that anymore. Create a new character <clears throat> that you can load this stuff into. Not uh, to
3: mention, Carlin's got, in addition to the 14 specials, Hundreds of hours of television uh, appearances and interviews. Yeah, yeah, and yeah.
2: But again, not my point. George yeah. Carlin is sadly passed away. He can no longer make any living observations exactly. about anything. Exactly. Create a new character, and you know, load in stuff from today that that new character will do. Make How that. I mean, character? steal things from other people to. <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I. <sighs> <laughs> Okay.
3: I could forgive an AI character if the person programming the AI character is only feeding into it its own yes. his his or her own personal life experiences. Yes. That's what I'm getting at. As opposed to, "Oh, I heard this funny story from this person and I'm going to feed it
2: into the system." I'm going to feed in. Without crediting that person. Every issue, the New York Times, Wall yes. Street Journal, yes. LA Times, make a joke out of some of that stuff. Yep. <laughs> now AI recreate the
4: famous person's voice. Yeah. Yeah. There's don't give a shit about. What? Prince's 1984 film, Purple Rain, was a huge hit along with its soundtrack. And now, I like that one, Jeffrey. Yeah. 40 years later, the movie is getting a musical stage adaptation. Mm -hmm. I heard Ah, about this. The musical will be based on the film's original screenplay, written by Albert Magnoli and William Blinn. The stage version will also feature a book by Brandon Jacob Jenkins. It's a two-time Pulitzer Prize finalist who is currently behind the critically acclaimed Appropriate. It will be directed by Leanna Bain-Cruz, a Tony Award nominee who recently oversaw the revival of The Skin of Our Teeth. Uh, Purple Rain revolves around an animatic and talented musician known as The Kid, who struggles with personal and professional challenges in his turbulent life in Minneapolis. The Kid is an aspiring rocker in the club scene, and he's also dealing with a complicated home life, musical rivals, and a new romance. And the title track, Purple Rain which became a massive hit and, and won an Academy Award for best original song, and I've never seen Purple Rain.
3: I knew that was coming, I fucking knew that was coming. I never have either. Christ, it's, <laughs> oh it's, it's a really good film. You Clock should really correct that. Was as
4: if a thousand monkeys screamed at once and then was silent. suddenly silenced. <laughs> yeah. hey boy,
1: Casino good fellas. I've seen Casino. Oh, you have? Yes, a couple times.
4: Oh, okay. just not Goodfellas though. Goodfellas.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He's never seen Goodfellas all the way through. He's but, seen bits and pieces. Yeah, we've all seen bits and pieces of Goodfellas. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not
1: doing, not, <laughs> you're not <laughs> not doing a Vernon and confusing the two? Because oh god, now I'm confusing yes. the two. Oh god, we watched. We he was like we we really need to watch. Uh, I think it was Goodfellas, and he's like, "We really need to watch Goodfellas. We need," and then, I, I, and then I, watching I the movie, he, he's he's just like. Where the hell's the scene in the cornfield when they beat the shit out of Joe Pesci? Oh, god. What, what am I missing? Uh, <laughs> Where the hell did that go?
3: I remember hearing that story too, and I just like, my, my head just slumped. Eddie, I was just like, he had, oh. had a few drinks,
1: so he got nicely outraged, and then I just laughed my ass off. It was
2: fucking funny. Here's the funny thing about Casino. Uh, I saw it when it first came out. It was good, but didn't see it again. Um, vernon brought it over here and uh i have watched it a second time i haven't heard it he hasn't (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: uh, another movie
4: that really doesn't have a plot (laughs) Uh,
3: yeah Mm. ish yeah ish
4: yeah ish (laughs) <laughs> no, Let's do a weekend gig. <laughs> we're going to save the, the rest of those for next week. Steve, you broke him.
3: Yay. I, I still, to this day, Vernon, getting so irritated when people would talk during a movie, but then he was just on and on and on. Shot. Ah. <laughs> I felt so bad that time we were watching that episode of Star Trek and Vernon and I were Shooting and back. This at, is this and
1: is after like, I was
3: browbeat into putting it on. And and, <laughs> and I'm like okay I yeah. just got so caught up in the conversation, it just I suddenly realized, Oh, I'm at somebody else's house and they're trying to watch this and yeah. here Vernon and I are having a conversation. And this over was the old top school trek, so this was yeah.
1: fifty five minutes yeah. of non stop, full volume. But Jeffo, Jeff did and you Vern. know this?
3: And I'm like, Yes, but did
1: you know this? Yeah, but it is, and, Now what I like to think, you know, blah blah blah. Oh yeah, but that was so good.
2: My, my favorite watching Star Trek with Vernon is we were trying to get him to finish up one of his gaseous anomaly things. He goes, well, you know, it, it's really hard. You have to pick just the right moments. We were watching Doomsday Machine, and, and it was like, what do you mean hard? And we're watching it. And I was like, pfft, pfft. you know, something was <laughs> happening. There's a gap in the conversation. Oh, yeah.
1: And he's he's like, you can't put farts everywhere. And Steve and I proved him wrong. (laughs) (laughs) To the point point, point, point where I turned to Girls. I go,
2: I I think I'm getting (laughs) (laughs) chaplain.
1: Yes. And (laughs) Vernon started (laughs) farting
3: all throughout. (laughs) Every moment, just just making a fart. Not to mention the time we were at Jerry and Francine's. They had Star Trek running. And I said, here's another one for you. He goes, You're right. That would be perfect like and th- and then the next episode would start i'm like and of course coming right up here's another perfect scene that would be for gaseous anomalies <laughs> i love anomalies. coming right up he knows the scene <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, oh, are yeah. You... and then vernon's like damn it jaffo you're right well and he gets out a little notepad he starts yeah. writing stuff down and then it never happened he did gaseous anomalies 2 right he didn't put in half of what he said he was putting yep. in yep i remember he told I- I he would, listed all the scenes he was going to use the, and didn't use any of them. The Cloud Minders. Yes. Which is an episode where everybody is talking about,
1: about an invisible gas. Yes. <laughs> yep. And and Vernon was like, "Oh yeah, this will be great. I'm Oh, yep. dude, I use so much I of I remember. This. He didn't use, use any of it. Any of it. Any it of was, it. It was just like, "Wow." And it was really funny cuz that was a rush job anyway cuz Francine and Jerry were moving, and he like, all right, I got to finish this episode. And he's like, but there's going to be a third episode.
3: Oh, shit. Yep, we never got our third.
1: What? Did, oh, no. He told me his title for it, too, and I have forgotten.
3: Oh, but anyway, yeah.
4: Yep. Oh, well. Lucasfilm has announced a new Star Wars film that's in development titled The Mandalorian and Grogu. <laughs> 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 and the movie will be directed and produced by The Mandalorian creator, Jon Favreau. Uh, yeah. Kathleen Kennedy and Dave Filoni are also producing the movie. and will go into production this year.
3: Uh, Wait a minute.
2: Kathleen Kennedy, isn't she fired? Yeah, she's still I think there.
4: she was fired 3 years ago, wasn't oh, she? Okay. You
3: yeah, uh, you you're, you're confusing with when she was fired 5 years ago oh, and no, yeah, and, no. and 4 years ago. Oh, and oh, I, oh okay. no no no, he's oh, confusing and and,
1: and when Alex just a month Kurtzman
4: ago. was fired. Oh, right, right. The Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's no really any other details uh, although there's a lot of concern in the internets for what that's worth. Uh, that this movie will be actually a retooling of season four instead of getting season four they're t- making it into this movie Yeah, probably i man i liked grogu
1: but when they did when they separated i was like oh good because for a minute there i was like is this really going to be mandalorian and grogu movie i mean series and they separate, it and I'm like, ah, good, okay. And then, spoiler alert, <laughs> they get back together, and they do it really kind of quick too. And I was like, fuck, okay. So there's all right, Lone Wolf and Cub, yeah. Star Wars, yeah, <laughs> just like Rebel Moon, Seven Samurai, Star Wars. <sighs> yeah,
4: still haven't watched Rebel Moon. Anybody here seen Rebel Moon?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Don't have we Netflix anymore, have and I that? keep struggling to decide whether I want to pay. We talk about Rebel Moon. I don't remember you guys talking about it. Nope. Oh, wow. Because I, I all this
4: panel am like, I'm kind of surprised no one brought Rebel Moon up on the show yet. Huh. Maybe
1: we were waiting because no, I thought did uh, Barry and Deb watch it? Mm. I don't remember.
3: I, mm, okay, I ma'am. just, I yeah, okay. So Rebel Moon, no. no. <laughs> the main reason I haven't watched it, I let Netflix go, and I have a huge issue with how much they've raised their prices, oh. especially if you want to be able to use the 4K version. Oh, jeez, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm like, fuck you, Netflix, right? Fuck you, fuck I, you totally you. understand. It's, uh, it's over thirty bucks a month now. Uh, for yeah. one fucking service. That's not yeah. what I'm paying. You're not getting the 4K You're not version. getting the 4K oh, version. Okay. Yeah, It's literally as much as I pay for like three other streaming services combined for a whole year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it's fuck you, you Netflix. <laughs> 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 Woo!
4: Okay. Yeah. So,
1: well, yeah, Steve and I saw Rebel Moon, I guess.
4: Never up. talk about it. <laughs> Well, we'll probably revisit that later on. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, though, real quick. Yeah, Pretty. Okay. There it is. That's, a, that's what
3: a, I keep uh, hearing. It's visually stunning, but it's
2: a not a lot Xander of substance.
3: Movie.
4: That's a Zack Snyder movie. A lot of slow motion.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There, oh, which does remind me, there is a YouTube thing of Star Wars A New Hope as directed by Zack Snyder. Oh, God. That is freaking hilarious. Wow. Yeah. I... You didn't
3: tell me about this? No, I so what happens when he leaves for a
1: week? Yeah? I Jesus.
0: <laughs>
3: it's like you- it's like you were watching things separately. It was like he cheated on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he did it at his ex-wife's place. This oh. is
1: <laughs> so dirty. Ah. <laughs> oh, I got to take a shower. <laughs>
4: Paramount Pictures is moving forward with a new Star Trek movie. Uh, Toby Haynes, uh, behind Andor, Sherlock, and Black Mirror, will direct the movie that is set to expand on the Star Trek universe. And Seth Graham Smith, who did Abraham Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, is going to write the script. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot is producing. All we know about the film so far is that it's, quote, an origin story that takes place decades before the 2009 Star Trek film that rebooted the franchise, unquote. Uh, Paramount Pictures has been having a rough time getting another Star Trek movie off the ground. Now, this is different project from Star Trek IV, which is still in active development. It's said that that one will be the final chapter of the m- new main series. Kelvin Universe. W- yeah. What?
1: Yeah. How many prequels to the original series can they? i mean, eventually they're going to, Star Trek, this one takes place Forever before the, uh or, you know, so... uh Star Trek. Anyway. One, one Neil, million BC. Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, and Buzz Aldrin get on the USS Eagle and go to the
3: moon and Star and what, Trek. What kills me is like they're, they're talking like decades before be awesome. original series or, or, or the 09 movie, which is essentially original right. series era. But I'm like, so, Enterprise? What? Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. decades before. No, I, I
4: really want them to just Star Trek the titles up and then just start playing the right because stuff.
3: Because if you go too much further <laughs> back, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. In if, fact, we <laughs> ought to make that fucking trailer. Star <laughs> Trek, then the next prequel, and Star Trek the first generation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and, and just put on a red, right stuff yeah. trailer, and there you go. Because if you go
3: too much further back, you're in the. In between, you're in Werner von (laughs) Braun shooting shit into the air.
4: That's how far back you're going to end up going. And then you do another prequel and you just show an episode of Wagon Train.
3: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because at first I'm thinking, I was like, are they talking about post first contact, but pre launch of the NX01? Because there's 100 years there that you could deal with. But after that, you're in the Enterprise era and the enterprise era spans what 10 years mm-hmm. give or take from I mean, yeah. its launch until essentially your launch and until and of course captain archer is supposed until to or, Frank's sorry and, uh, admiral archer is supposed to be at the launch of the 1701 so uh and is it yeah. going to be captain robert april is it going to be the
1: enterprise
2: who knows we won't know or is it going to uh, be the botany bay no you know, you know, you know what it's no. gonna you know what it's gonna be Put in development hell and never come out. You, you, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably which is right. too bad because this director is also the one that did the McAllister sort sure. of uh, of uh, oh that's Black Mirror. Oh, that's pretty solid.
0: Well, okay. Yeah.
1: So, so if they do another Star Trek, where do they go? Yeah. Where where
3: where do we go? I'm I'm asking, like where do we go? I I don't have an answer to this okay. question. Okay. I, well, I really, all I can tell you Kirsten is it's been a long road. No, no, no.
2: Getting from there to here. Wow. It's been a long time. And our time <laughs> is finally here. No Jeff, no. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly I think they need to pick up where Picard left off. Yeah, go that's, forward. That's the era. Go, go pick- well, forward.
4: And- and he's saying that there's a picard movie in the works now yeah, yeah, so. yeah.
3: well he's seen a script right. and it doesn't necessarily mean again, the movies in the works
2: again yeah development yeah alone. todd I'll, 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 it's just, take... I'll just
4: sit down
3: here then well <laughs> oh, no no i just <laughs> you're you're not
2: the
4: only
3: I one that's that jump, I, I see people i see people all over jumping on that train saying it's like oh we're getting a picard movie i'm like He has said he's seen a script. That doesn't necessarily mean it's in development. Right. Past the script being written, and he's looking at it, deciding whether he wants to do this or not. True words.
2: Yeah. And plus, I mean, you know, he's seen a script in an era in which Paramount Plus may be on its last legs out. So who knows? I mean, I'm... Which would make me sad. Call me crazy,
3: but I'm on board with this whole Star Trek legacy. Uh-huh. That's, you know, I know it's not a real series, yeah. but it has a lot of potential. It and does. I would love to see a Captain Seven of Nine. Yep. I
1: still think the way they need to go with Star Trek is away from Starfleet, away from
3: Federation, lots more aliens. Mm-hmm. And we could get Zach. Stewart and I do also feel like <laughs> what you're saying- but also move forward yeah quit going back to the past oh yeah blah, 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 blah. yeah definitely un- un- unless
1: uh, what what Alpha beta gamma wait what what's the delta A- right ABC always alpha beta Delta gamma gamma. so there's gamma quadrant Mm-hmm. you yep. just totally do. I mean, fuck humans.
2: The founders, we do the whole thing set in the founder.
3: Oh, I hey, mean, you could you could do a how did the founders get to be the founders because they said that they had to battle against solids and then their solution yeah. was to subjugate solids. So well, there is that. There's I mean, you've got a whole background there that you could potentially explore, or, or you know we could yeah just, with the
2: dangers of making your villains too sympathetic. I yeah. want to uh, see. Uh, the story of what the fuck happened to the Organians? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) um, Steve and I just watched that the other night, and it was really funny, because Steve's deeper in a lot of minutiae lore of Star Trek than I am, so I was just like, so what happened to the Organians anyway? Is it ever explained in X-Gen or DS9? In the books, it's sort
3: of addressed.
1: And what Steve said was there was something about Organians, Metrons, and the Q. Right. And then I proposed my mind-blowing idea, which they should do.
3: Well, and, you know, (laughs) it's it's said in the series, you know, the the Organians evolved up and so did the Q, the Q evolved up. So the prevailing theory was that the Organians evolved to an even higher plane and they became less interested in you know, the goings on of the material universe. The material universe. Yeah. So that's why they stopped enforcing their, their the p- peace treaty. My yeah. brilliant idea, thank you for asking Jeff, is was
0: <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> the Organians and the Metron, right? are like oh you have to stop being violent oh we're going to interfere oh we're not going to allow you oh oh, and the q the q were like you can't tell whole civilizations what to do yeah you can't legislate morality you you can't do that you you need to let them do and the q are the ones who break the organians and the metrons and get them to lay off so that they can do exactly what they were telling them not to do? No, because the Q don't sit there and say don't be violent. Yeah. Be peaceful. We're going to we're going to we're going to make everybody get along. They
3: don't do that. The Q but they put humanity on trial, and it's not just the Q that we see. It's supposed to be the whole continuum right. that's and, putting humanity on trial. And
1: humanity passes the trial.
3: And well, so maybe no, that's the when, trial never ends. Well, maybe that's when the Q
1: went to the Metrons and the Organians and maybe. said, Guys, you can't do this. Well, I mean, there's yeah, there's no I think linear that the, the nature iron, to their... The irony of the Q being the ones who actually enforce the freedom for uh the galaxy would actually be an interesting story point it would be an address, an interesting you know or even if it's just that the queue are like they're messing with them but they they don't know these guys don't know how to mess with civilizations so <laughs> let's get them the fuck out of the way and then we'll show them how it's done <laughs> i don't know i just you know is but It was always funny because the Organian Peace Treaty, we watched the episode where it happened. Then we watched Trouble with Tribbles, which cites the treaty and actually uh, begins to explore the whole Cold War tete-a-tete with the Klingons and the Federation, and
3: then nothing
1: yeah then we watched an episode where they were all prepared to go to battle with the klingons yeah but that was
2: because they were under the influence of the sure
1: the, of the... sure but 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 uh, if the organians are going to sit there I mean, what? The Organians said, make this peace treaty. They made it. And then the Organians went away. Well, that would explain things. But in Arena, where the alien is making Kang and Kirk and Cruz fight each other, shouldn't the Organians have stepped up and said, hey, alien, what the fuck are you doing?
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: So it's it's just sort of like, you know,
1: where did all that shit go?
3: Well, maybe the Organians were able to see that, you know, eventually they're going to have to. You know overcome this alien by establishing their own kind of peace treaties like we're not gonna fight each other because he wants us to you know this thing wants us to fight each other and so Maybe. they said oh they've grown a little so i who knows
4: most likely they'll go to the lower common denominator and just make the young court chronicles yeah
1: really <laughs> now, i'll go for that i don't know i mean i just uh i i, I really do think get away from starfleet get away from the federation ...is the way to go, and, and boy, oh boy, do they fucking refuse to do that. And every time they dip their toes in that in a given series, everybody talks about how interesting it is.
3: Well, when you say get away from Starfleet, do you mean like maybe say follow one of the other big ones, like the Romulans, the Klingons, or you just... You don't
1: just... need Starfleet to even tell stories of humans in space. I understand You that. don't need the
3: Federation... I'm just saying Even. are you following an established species or are you just No. Okay, you're going like with a yeah, no yeah, ro-
1: rogue trader. No established species, especially that. If if we were going to do that, that would be my uh my uh the, the Michael Dorn pitch for a Klingon series. Yeah, I'd be down I would a Klingon series. Which I think I didn't like what they did with the Klingons Next Generation on, but I have to say they created a very full lore yeah. So use it. Put it to use and make a whole fucking series. Uh, you know, I mean, if you imagine DS Nine and just get rid of, just get rid of the humans. Yeah. You still have a totally functioning uh, cast of characters. You've yeah. got plenty of interest, interesting stuff with Worf and with. Uh, quark and with odo and you can still go into kardashian and kardashian
0: <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> kardashian
1: and bajoran shit yeah you know although kardashian in space? <laughs> uh, you know there's something there there's something there
3: but detecting um, high levels of silicon Yes. <laughs> Very wow, it's it's off the charts. Silicon based creatures. This dwarfs Yoda's
1: <laughs> midichlorian count. Um but uh you've got plenty there. Yeah. You know, I mean hell, uh there were there were episodes of uh, DS9 where the humans,
2: you know, were the beeline. Oh, yeah, there's the uh the magnificent uh, Ferengi Oh episode. my god.
1: And and magnificent Ferengi. Right? I mean that was uh, that was just that was the, what they were doing with the Ferengi was so cool. Now once again a lot of that is is uh, Armin Shimmerman and uh, Max, Blanking. Max Ma- Max and uh, Aaron, Eisenberg. Aaron. You know a, a lot of that is them but these guys, cre- you know, creating stuff, too. But they once again, you've got a lore. I don't know if I could watch five seasons of Ferengi <laughs> Antics, but I could watch, especially on the new model now of eight to ten episodes, I could watch a, a season of, of, of Ferengi Star Trek. You know, they, they, and it's just like, oh, yeah, so uh, we're going to get another starship. And Starfleet and the Federation are gonna go here, and it's just like, ah, oh, fuck, <laughs> fuck. I don't know. So it, it just, it just, it. All right, it here, bugs here, me. Here's my pitch.
4: Oh god, here's my pitch for the next Star Trek show. The USS Barker enters a wormhole unlike they've ever seen before. All right. The ship, while they're in this wormhole, is affected in the same way that that uh, sci-fi uh, Sam Neill movie. Uh, uh, Event Horizon? Event Horizon, where there's a madness that starts to creep into the crew. And when they exit this wormhole, they're now in the world of Warhammer 40K. In a world <laughs> where there's no good guys, and they're the only source of any kind of morality anywhere. And can they even hold on to that as they try to find their way back? Todd,
1: that could totally be done because you've got the mirror universe. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just imagine oh, a single Federation Starfleet starship that ends up in the mirror universe and becomes the center point of a revolution challenging the Empire. Or we could just do more of the same but a little <laughs> different.
3: I vote more of the same Seneca (laughs) did motion carries wow I'm just saying that's how the 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 pitch meeting would go
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I I I I had a little fan fiction going on in my head that uh, when Voyager came back uh, and entered the uh, entered the solar system that they uh, passed by uh, Yogath and awake some uh, awaken some uh, yes please and and that's the whole thing. So Star Trek versus Cthulhu.
4: Well, yes, please, one hundred percent. See, that's a shakeup. Yeah, it,
2: I mean, I mean, it, rarely
4: it, have they covered any cosmic horror in their cosmic adventure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bring back the
1: doomsday machine. Ah. Uh, maybe this doomsday machine. Uh, its AI actually figured out how to counter the uh, the nuke down the throat tactic. There's
3: actually a really great next-gen-based novel. Yeah. They, yes. They addressed that. I have heard. Uh, I read it. Wasn't the... Th- I, I had heard...
1: The theory was the Doomsday Machine was actually to be used against the Borg. Yep. It was yep. an anti-Borg yep.
3: weapon, and the first one was the prototype. God yep. damn it! I mean, come on. In fact, <laughs> he, you got these ideas, folks. The new, the the newer version. They discover in the in the novel, they discover a uh, not yep. activated, but newer version that could be piloted, etc. Uh, it was a, not a drone right. like the original, or the Gary Seven stuff. Oh, right? the
1: providers.
3: The pro? No, not providers. Uh, uh, the, the watchers. The preservers. The preservers. Yeah. Well, you they know? they attempted to address that with. Uh, I'm talking with about a, appearance. I'm talking
1: about a series.
3: No, I'm saying yeah, and and it seems like they could have set that up because yeah. Wesley appearing yeah, but and they then, didn't. I know that <laughs> that's what kills me is like okay so wait now the travelers and the providers are uh, no. oh okay so they're trying no. to make a big thing out of this Ooh, when and Robert be...
2: Lansing was still alive yeah, I yeah. thought I thought it would have been great to do a Gary 8 series so you have his replacement like he's gone native like he he's in trouble with whoever set him up because he's gone native so they sent Gary 8 to and like I think yeah Terry Gar was still mobile <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, she's had health issues, so is what that's meeting.
3: okay. Because yes. what was the? <laughs> we can extrapolate. The one character yeah. in season two of Picard was part of that whole Gary Seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, they did, and it was yeah, such. Yeah,
3: yeah. It was such a short part of that. They, they, they touched on
1: it, and then they went away. Yep. And 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 they have all of these, right? They yeah. they like the travelers and this and so take all this. I mean, what happens if these things collide? We've got we've got these people, and we got that. And they're interfering with civilizations. What do the Organians have to say about that? The Metron, where do the Q come in? And once again, I like the irony of the Q are the ones who are trying to break all of this external, parental, you know, uh, you, you know, everybody forcing everybody, torquing everybody. Because the thing about Q is that he puts you in a shitty situation (laughs) and then he sits back and watches you get out of it right and that's not what the others really do i mean the metrons kind of have that test but you know the organians especially they they just (laughs) ham-handedly interfered and so it's like wouldn't that be funny if they're the ones who get all of this dsx machina out of the galaxy
4: and this has been Star Trekking in Vegas. Wait, what's the name of the... <laughs> yeah, Star Trekking in Vegas. <laughs> With golden bigs. How would you save, save Star Trek? Uh, or stave it? Write to us. <laughs> Comments of at the, the
1: Kardashians. <laughs>
4: And I want to thank our Tier 1 Banana Pudding members, Sir Chomps, Hylian Scoop, Chad Wilson, Ambivalent Hoax, Richard Bruin, Scoopatron, Mandy, Sour Matty D, Jacob Flora, Multiverse Tonight, Scully, Mr. Dumbledave, Froyog Soft Serve, Gil, Matthew Bates, A. John B., Diggs McSmigs, Eraserhead, Eraserhead, Kingvald, Elizabeth W., Mr. Sticky Pants, and Goran Gunstett. Oh, and of course, Stefan Moeller. Thank you all for supporting the show. And, of course, our Tier 3 members, Deb T., J.R. Congle, Tier 5 members, Jeff Harris, Mad Martron, Glumly, Atomic, Gumby. And a special thank you to our theme song creator, Sam Heffernan. The song's The Burning Light. Find it at SWH Music on Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, all you dear listeners. We wouldn't be doing this without you. And soon we're gonna record an Aftershock. So don't stay tuned. What? Stay what? tuned. You want him to stay tuned.
1: I know. I kind of beat him on that, and now he like doesn't do it. But actually, it it was cute when he did it, and I was just <laughs> razzing you. Stay tuned. Oh, <laughs> damn you. Very goddamn it. Until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander Fixing
4: Trek. And Beb. <laughs> we'll talk to you
1: next week you <laughs> Geek.
4: Well, he's t- he's outright. Converting himself. Yeah, Beb and Diggs. Can't wait for Diggs and Dummy to come back. (laughs) (laughs) That's the new podcast spinoff. Yes. Boy, have we got a lot going on. Diggs and Dummy.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was earned. Yeah. What? <laughs>
0: back,
2: ah, speaking of uh, speaking of um, transliterating words, letters. Oh boy. <laughs> transposing. Yeah, transposing. Yeah, uh, of a long story short. Yeah. This friend.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> this uh, friend of mine. Back back when I worked at Disneyland before I got voluntarily terminated. Um, We were talking about sci-fi stuff. He goes, "Yeah, you could have your own character. It could be Buck (laughs) Figs." Just switch those two first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we
3: we got it.